Another day of kindergarten in the books. You start walking home. As the rock you're kicking along the broken sidewalk moves forward, your eyes drift as excitement fills your heart. You see your dad's car in the driveway. You haven't seen him in months. Your joy runs the last stretch to the house, but it stops short. Something's off. Your front door is cracked open and your stomach sinks as you hear the shouting. You lift your hand, slowly push it open. The smell of alcohol hits your face. He breezes through the door, brushing right past you, muttering, I'm out of here. And you never see him again. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. I'm Drew Willie with Restoring Justice, and this is Freedom Stories. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. Where I share struggles and victories of freedom from inside our system highlighting particular issues and their effect on our marginalized brothers and sisters. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until Marcus's father left when he was in kindergarten. Another story of a single mom with multiple sons to care for. They got by, but Marcus grew up in poverty. He did better than most in his situation but he didn't graduate from high school. He has a learning disability and the resources couldn't make up the difference. When he was 18, his mom told him she wouldn't care for him anymore and he had to go. He couch surfed, mainly, and got by on odd jobs, sometimes from his old neighbor friend. He managed to maintain somewhat of a normal adolescent adult life. He still made time for friends and occasionally even went to the mall with them. On one such trip, he met a girl. She was immediately interested, and they hit it off. She told him she was 19, and he was 20, so it was perfect. They began dating. He'd hang out at her house sometimes. Sure, they were an interracial couple, and her dad didn't seem to like him, but her grandma was always nice, and Marcus would even eat dinner over there sometimes. Marcus thought they were falling in love. He even told her so. Until one day, her friend messaged Marcus on Facebook and started making fun of him, saying their love couldn't possibly be real. Marcus asked why, and the friend replied, She hasn't told you? She's only 15. Marcus's heart dropped. He immediately contacted her, and he broke it off. But a broken heart is not easily mended. She calls and texts and Facebooks and calls and texts until finally he agrees to see her again. She told him to come over when her dad wasn't home. No wonder he didn't like Marcus. But as you might have guessed, since we're talking about this story here on this program, her dad does come home. He's irate and he blames her for skipping school and failing grades. He blames it all on Marcus and he calls the cops. He says that he saw them getting physical. The officers, who didn't follow up on the truancy warrant for the dad, they did find Marcus and they arrested him within a week.
Now, I want to take a quick break in Marcus's story to talk about the issue of investigations in indigent criminal defense cases. If you have money, you go out and hire an attorney, and the attorney will tell you about the cost of an investigation. If they have to hire one, they'll have a private investigator of their own that you can pay for at the discretion of this attorney who will go out and find what they need to find in order to properly defend your case. If you don't have money, however, you're at the mercy of the state to get that investigator funded. So, if you've been appointed an attorney, you have to go through them to get an investigator. That attorney has a very complex motion, has to justify the use of this investigator a number of different ways, and they have to make an argument to the judge, who then gets to determine if that judge wants to give this hit on their budget to pay for this investigator on this specific indigent case. In Harris County, if you looked up the number of investigators used, it would be grossly inadequate. In our experience, most cases have some level of investigation, even if it's minimal mitigation work where you're just trying to go get the background of your client's story. There's people that need to be interviewed, there are documents that need to be retrieved, and the attorney is not in a proper position to be able to do that. If the attorney goes out and talks to a witness, the attorney then becomes a fact witness. Ethically, we are not allowed to do our own investigations. We're not allowed to talk to our own witnesses. We can do document retrieval, we can do Public Information Act requests, we can do subpoenas, but why would the court pay the attorney hourly rate that they're supposed to be paying them when the real work should be done by an investigator that doesn't require such expert knowledge? But the courts have degraded indigent defense so much that on the one hand, the hourly rates to the defense attorneys are not any kind of expert level, so they might as well pay those attorneys to do investigatory tasks. And secondly, they don't want to pay for any kind of investigation at all. So they may deny the funds to a court-appointed attorney for doing their own investigation even after they've denied the use of an investigator. The discouragement from investigation is extremely heavy in Harris County Courts. Even if you can get the court to fund an investigator, there are constitutional requirements that require these judges to give investigators in certain circumstances. Many defense attorneys don't hold the judges to this, but... If you find one that does, and the judge does in fact fund an investigator, well now the next question is whether a thorough investigation is going to be done. Is this court-appointed attorney connected to an investigator who knows how to do adequate investigation? Client-centered investigation from the defense perspective, not an old police officer. There's an imbalance in the system here. In Marcus's case, all the investigator did was go to the jail, talk to the client, and tell them they should plead guilty. That's not a thorough investigation, and we see that happening in cases again and again. It shouldn't happen. If the scales of justice were equal, the same amount of investigation resources would be given to the defense as is afforded to the prosecution. But they have all kinds of different police agencies out doing investigations for them. Not only do they have HPD, Metro Police, Sheriff's Office, Constable's Office, School District Police. They even have investigators in their own office, on salary, on staff. 
and yet the defense has literally no funds and no availability for a thorough investigation. It's a huge problem in our system that will continue to cause injustices like the one we're talking about here. Back to Marcus's story. He stayed in jail while his case was pending for two years. No one he knew could afford to bond him out. His court-appointed attorney handled over four times state-recommended caseload limits, so she didn't have much time for Marcus's case in particular. Whenever he went to court, if this lawyer even showed up, he'd tell her that he was innocent and ask her to fight his case. She would complain that he was being unreasonable, threaten that he was facing 20 years, and ask him to sign a guilty plea for 10. Marcus would ask if there was anything that could be done. Could you please just investigate the case? Reluctantly, the attorney asked the court for funds for an investigator, and it was granted. At the direction of the attorney, though, the only thing that investigator did was enter the jail, go see Marcus, and play him the interview between his ex and the police. The investigator told him it was hopeless, and he better just plead guilty. This investigator never went to see the dad, the ex, the friend, the grandma, the truancy officers, or anyone else related to the case at all. After two years of worrying what would happen to him, Marcus finally got a break. So he thought. His attorney told him that if he pled guilty, he would get probation. Marcus thought he was getting out. So he signed the guilty paperwork and awaited his sentence. What Marcus didn't know was that his old neighbor friend had called us, restoring justice. Unfortunately, that was not until immediately after he pled guilty. We signed on to his case immediately and was horrified to know that this attorney had told him he would get probation. He was facing what's called a sentencing investigation where the state would send someone in and they would determine what sentence he would get. The full 20 years prison time was on the table and the chances that it would be much different than what the prosecutors were offering at 10 years was little to none, unless some more work could be done. So once we signed on to the case, we begun our investigation. Despite finding all we could, it still came down to the dad and the ex's word against Marcus's, even if the judge would allow us to withdraw his guilty plea, which is a whole nother can of worms that likely would not have happened. Plus, who knew what his ex's mindset was? This was two years beyond the incident. She was 15 years old then, and now she's a 17-year-old confused teenage girl. We could bet that she mended things with dad and would be on his side. After a long discussion and considering a lot of angles, Marcus decided to move forward with sentencing, understanding that we would tell his full story to the judge at that hearing. Marcus's social worker with us who met with him in jail, noticed his handwriting was beautiful, and she asked him if he was an artist. His eyes lit up, and he told us all about his drawings and how much he loved it and what he planned to do when he'd get out. We were able to include all of this information as a part of his sentencing hearing. The state, who did not know his prior attorney had lied about probation, thought that Marcus was refusing their 10-year offer. So they were asking the judge for a 15-year prison sentence. Once all the evidence was heard, including a scantily clad 17-year-old shaky testimony, 
and the heart behind Marcus's desire to be an artist was heard. The judge gave him a three-year prison sentence, meaning he was immediately eligible for parole. Marcus had to hide his excitement until he was taken out of court back into the holding cell, where him and his attorney couldn't help but share a fist pump. A little real investigation, some hard choices, and a judge willing to listen means we have somewhat of a successful freedom story this week. His case wasn't beaten, but 12 years of incarceration saved is certainly a success. Moments like these keep us fighting for freedom, and I hope you can come back next week as we share some more freedom stories.